Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have 11. We have, of course, a football team uh, of prime ministerial candidates now, all willing to jostle and push each other out of the way to try and get themselves into Downing Street uh, just in time to not leave the European Union on October the 31st. We've, of course, got the Brexit alarm here uh, in which we count down to when nothing's actually happening. Theresa May, uh, in a rather ridiculous waste of time, even more than all the other wastes of time that she's done, uh, was over in Brussels yesterday... Uh, glad-handing with all the people that she will no longer be working with uh, because she won't be Prime Minister very, very soon uh, after about a week or so. At the 10th of June, we will kick off. We've just heard James Cleverly saying he wants to heal the nation, he wants to heal the Conservative Party, uh, he wants to be the Prime Minister of this country and he wants everyone to be nice to one another. Meanwhile, we've got Rory Stewart wandering around uh, in public areas like Kew Gardens, uh, like Borough Market, like Barking High Street, asking people if they'd like to come up and talk to him. Last night, he had an interview in the back of a taxi uh, with Jon Snow from Channel 4 News. It's all very bizarre, isn't it? Uh, we're going to get probably more candidates announcing that they want to run. Boris Johnson uh, is being called all sorts of names behind his back, uh, and he has slipped down the, uh, the league table. It is now replaced by Michael Gove as the favourite, because he apparently doesn't know how to put anything in a dishwasher, according to Sarah Vine, his very well-connected wife. I don't want anybody running this country who can't operate a dishwasher. I don't think it's quaint. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it is in any way something to boast about. Quite frankly, Michael Gove, you are a disgrace. 0344 thousand is the numbers to call. We'll be checking in with Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, Conservative uh, commentator, and a man who knows most of the candidates very, very well indeed. Coming up later on in the show, we will also be talking to Ian Blackford from the SNP, because they today will announce that they want to have a second referendum on independence. Well, why? will be my first question. 0344 499 1000. We want to hear from you as well, of course, because you are the most important part of this show. You bring it common sense. You bring it all of the good things that we require here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. And also, as an added bonus, coming up a little bit later on in the show, I'll be saving somebody's life live on air. I won't be killing them first, though. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So we've got a football team, 11 people, ready, willing and able to uh, sacrifice their personal lives, put their personal lives on the line and go into Downing Street and lead this country, supposedly, out of the European Union. Let's ask Tim Montgomery this morning 
precisely which one would do the best job. Tim, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you I'm very me. worried, though, as someone who can't stack a dishwasher myself, whether I'm qualified to be on your programme. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I, listen, I, I mean, do my dishes by hand. I'm afraid I'm a traditionalist. I do all of my dishes, but uh, I don't have a machine. So well, well, I, I think know. that qualifies you even more, actually, to be a traditional conservative, because there's not too many of them <laughs> around, to be honest. If you could find one, you know, good luck within this, 11, uh, this group of 11 people. <laughs> um, well, it's as you say, it's a... It's a football team of candidates um, now. Uh, how many can actually play football? That's a, another question. But I think Boris Johnson has to still be the favourite. Um, he's sort of been majestically hovering above the race at the moment. We haven't heard from him. He hasn't subjected himself to a probing interview. But I think if he can get through the first round of MPs, I think out there in the country, the Tory grassroots will give him a pretty emphatic endorsement if he does get through to the last two candidates. I wonder, though, whether the, the, the stories about him and the whisperings about him, and a lot of people coming out now and saying that, you know, he's not to be trusted, um, he's quite a, uh, sort of brutally ambitious, he's, he's let people down, he's turned people over, will that not put people off? Well, I don't think anyone will regard any of that as a surprise, though, Mike. Right. I think people know that he's not necessarily always been the most consistent of um, candidates on lots of issues, but people do know that he's been very consistent on Brexit. And that, of course, is the issue absolutely in the heart of the Tory party contest. It's actually at the, at the heart of the national divide at the moment. And ever since he took that decision to back vote leave in the referendum, he was regularly criticised when he was a member of Theresa May's cabinet for pressing her harder than she wanted to go. And I think on the one issue that is going to define this contest, he is consistent and perhaps more consistent than many of the other leading candidates. Michael Gove, for example, who I think does have a very good chance to beat him if, um, if uh, in terms of the running order of the candidates, he is regarded as suspect by some uh, Tory members simply because he voted for Theresa May's withdrawal agreement right from the beginning. Absolutely right. And what um, emphasis do you think the winning candidate will need to put on working perhaps in the future at some point with Nigel Farage? Because I've had conversations with several Tory MPs who've said things like, at some point we will have to take Nigel Farage on and either embrace him or tell him to stop um, damaging the Conservative Party at elections. Well, I think Nigel Farage now looks and sounds like a very ambitious man. He's now talking about putting together a Brexit party manifesto. Uh, and so I think the idea that Nigel Farage can be bought, uh, if you like, is probably for the birds now. But his voters are an entirely different matter. I think if the Conservative Party gets its policy right, um, I was someone always voted Conservative all my life. But last Thursday in the European elections, I voted for the Brexit party. And I voted for the Brexit party because I wanted to punish the Tories for not delivering. But you know, I want to absolutely go back to my lifelong habit of voting Tory, but I will do that on the basis that Brexit is delivered. If Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Sajid Javid or whoever becomes the next Tory leader does that, I think they, they don't uh, kill off Nigel Farage completely, but if they get that job done, I think Nigel Farage's reason for principal reason for existence uh, passes away.
And one of the things that people say, of course, and have been saying since the election uh, at the weekend, the Euro election result, is that actually, uh, even though Theresa May's resigned, even if Boris Johnson gets in, even if he goes back to Brussels and somehow manages to negotiate something different, there is still no difference and no change in the Remainer Parliament as far as the arithmetic is concerned. So, so in what way do you think anything can actually be different once we re-enter uh, the new sort of uh, autumn session? I think the thing that is different isn't actually something that happened within the UK. I think it's happened across the English Channel. And you'll remember, Mike, that uh, President Macron came quite close the last time we asked for an extension to this whole uh, excruciating process. He came close to saying, no, we've had enough. Well, you, can, you can leave the European Union because mm. we've got to get on with our own project. So I think it may, the thing that may well have changed is that this time, the deadline of end October um, isn't actually going to be flexible. And so we will leave the European Union um, on Halloween, um, whether we like it or not, whether that Remain Parliament likes it or not. And so all you need this time is a prime minister, leader of the Conservative Party, to hold fast, not to cave, not to revoke Article 50. Sure. And then I think we will leave the European Union deal or no deal. And I know you have to rush off to him. Just one final question. How does Burko hanging around affect that? Because a lot of people oh, are very goodness. upset, we get, very upset we get this morning. <laughs> I know. How can you get rid of this guy? <laughs> it seems like... Uh, Getting rid of John Burko is a harder task than leaving the European Union. Well, I mean, I thought Theresa May was stubborn, but this guy takes the biscuit, I think, doesn't he? <laughs> and, of course, he's broken a promise. Yeah. He said he would have gone uh, some time ago. So he's, um, he's always talking about trust in politics, but our ability to trust him, given uh, his promise to leave the, ch the Speaker's chair by now, is also suspicious. But, you know, I think it's the same answer, really, to the, to the last question, Mike. Um, however convoluted, however scheming Berto may be to try and keep Parliament in the European Union, it may well now be out of our hands. It may be in the hands of the Elysee Palace in, in Paris. President Macron may really be the decider of our fate now. That could be a fascinating scenario as well. Tim, thank you very much indeed. I know you've got a train to catch. Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, Conservative commentator, columnist as well. Uh, a man who, as he says himself, is a traditionalist. And that's what the Conservative Party, I think, actually needs. All of this kind of factionalism, all of this tribalism, all of this infighting has done them absolutely no good whatsoever. We now have a rather motley collection of 11 candidates, right? Uh, and we can go through them one by one if you like, uh, but I'd really rather not. Uh, the point is this, 0344 can any of them make any difference whatsoever? And can they avoid uh, a general election? Uh, let's talk to Ian, who's in Newport. Hello, Ian. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Very well, sir. What would you like to say? Uh, I, I just heard today that uh, your best mate, John Burko, yeah. is staying on as... Uh speaker. Apparently so, yeah. Apparently nobody can get rid of him. We thought it was hard getting uh, Theresa May out of Downing Street. We got there eventually, so I guess we'll have to launch a similar campaign to dislodge Mr Burko. But uh, there's no uh, no system to do that, apparently. No, he, apparently he not. Can stay on as long as he wants. Well, the thing that I find fascinating, Ian, is that every single sort of parliamentary procedure that we are told cannot be changed keeps getting changed, quite often by him. Yeah. So why not why not change the one that keeps him where he is? Yeah, well, there we are. I've got a prediction for you, Mike. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Labour Party are going to go for a second referendum, yeah? Okay. The Conservatives won't get us out 
on the 31st of October. Right. There will be a general election. When? And the Brexit party will win and Prime Minister Farage will be there. And when do you think this election will take place? Either the end of this year or beginning of next year. OK. Listen, I, I find it very hard to argue with any of those uh, predictions, Ian, and I shall come back to you uh, as the first one becomes clear. I don't believe, uh, like you, that we will leave the European Union on October the 31st. Uh, I don't also believe uh, that if we, if we ever do have a second referendum, they'll ever agree on what it is that the question should be. Um, and I think a general election could well be the answer. It might be the only way to get us out of this logjam. Well, it, it, it's, it's like uh, Anne Whittacombe said, if they don't, if we don't leave, they in the Parliament should leave. Yes, I think that's absolutely right because we've got to change the arithmetic. We've got to change some of the MPs who are in Westminster, uh, and I think many of us uh, would agree on that altogether. And also, uh, what about the idea uh, that this second referendum is suddenly now adopted by Jeremy Corbyn uh, and the Labour Party? Because nobody knows what the question should be. Nobody knows what the choice should be. Nobody even knows whether we can organise a second referendum in time before October the 31st. I don't think we can. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Tweet us at Talk Radio. We've got loads more to do. Ross Kempsell's here as well with us. We're going to be talking to Paul Harris uh, about the anti-Semitism probe that's going on into the Labour Party. We're going to talk to Ian Blackford about the SNP and the second Scottish referendum. Since we're having so many referendums, should we just not give one to Scotland? I don't think they're going to win independence for themselves anyway. Let them have another referendum. 0344 499 1000 is the number. But this time... We should all take part in it, shouldn't we? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I said this the other day to uh, one of Mr Blackford's colleagues in Westminster, that he should actually be appointed the real chief of the opposition, the real opposition leader, because he's the only one that actually challenges Theresa May in Parliament. Ian Blackford, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. Thank you very much indeed for sparing the time to talk to us. Um, I'm not trying to butter you up by saying that about the leader of the opposition, but literally now, Prime Minister's questions have become so boring that we, we don't really watch it until you come on. Well, I have to say, I think Prime Minister's questions kind of fallen apart, not just for those watching, but in, in the chamber itself. You'll no doubt see, Mike, that there are some gaps on green benches, particularly in the government <laughs> side. So it grieves me to see that it's not the... It's not the spectacle that it, that it once was, that's, that's for sure. And it's very odd, isn't it? Because presumably they'll have to, until they've appointed a new leader, uh, somebody else will just have to stand up and do it in, in the leader's sort of uh, uh, way. Well, it will, as far as I understand, it will be Theresa May because she will remain as Prime Minister until the Tory leadership election is over. So you've got this um, a Prime Minister that's not in office but not in power. Right. And it's, it's, it's going to be a very strange atmosphere because... What authorities does she have when she's answering? That's well, quite, the, quite. The key question. It is ridiculous. But let's let's get on to the main subject of the day, which is your position uh, at the SNP. You've decided, and 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 I've spoken to some of your colleagues about this in the past, that enough change has happened in order for you to now get an opportunity to have another go, basically. Yeah. Well, when we stood for election to the Scottish Parliament in 2016, we stood on a manifesto commitment that if there was a material change of circumstances, that we wanted the support of the people of Scotland to go back and ask them that question if they did want Scotland to be an independent nation. And I guess what's happening today, Mike Russell, my colleague, is going to be introducing the referendum bill to the Scottish Parliament so that we can put the mechanisms in place that would, uh, would allow us to do that. Um, I think things have changed, Mike. Um, obviously, you're aware of the vote to remain in the European Union in 2016 in Scotland, 62%. And 
in the EU election last week, we did say again to the people of Scotland to vote for the SNP as they vote to stop Brexit. We won that election. We had the highest vote share of any party in Western Europe at 38%. And I think really, in a sense, what we're doing is we're contrasting what's happening in Westminster, where our voice isn't listened to. The devolved administrations have been locked to the process of Brexit. The Prime Minister hasn't consulted with us at all. And I think really we see our future very much as a as a European nation, and it's it's time really to have that debate, not not just about the the constitution itself, but but a really a more fundamental debate about what kind of country we should be, what the vision and the values that we have, how do we deliver stronger economic growth in Scotland, how do we deliver fairness, and that's a debate that we're going to be having over the course of the coming months. And it's quite ironic in a way, though, isn't it? Because all of those things that you're complaining about are quite perfectly valid things to complain about, but but could also be the things that people complain about. Uh, in the whole of the UK, because the whole of the UK voted to leave the European Union, and let, and yet that hasn't happened. The people who voted to remain say that it wasn't a proper vote, they want to have another go. I mean, I don't know where you stand on the subject of having a second referendum on the European Union question, but, you know, the fact that part of, uh, of the UK, i.e. Scotland, decided to vote in majority to stay in does not mean that that is then a different situation to where we are in the whole country, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, there's two things. I mean, firstly, in terms of a people's vote, we're fully behind the campaign for a people's vote, and I commit myself to working with others to that end in Parliament over the course of the coming months. And I think the very real danger that we face, if you look at what's happening in the two parties, they're all Brexiteering each other out. They're all shifting towards the uh, support of a no-deal scenario, and we absolutely reject that. Not only would we support a people's vote, but certainly if we were facing a no-deal future, and the threat that we believe that that would have to jobs and to our communities, then we'd have a responsibility to push for revocation of Article 50. But, Mike, one of the things was that when we had our independence referendum in Scotland in 2014, we were explicitly told that if we stayed in the UK, then our rights as EU citizens would be respected. We staying in the, the European Union. We were told at the time that Scotland was to lead the United Kingdom, that it was part of a, a family of nations coming coming together, and that, that simply hasn't happened. And my, my biggest concern, I, I, I respect that there are differences in other places, but I mean, as you'll know, we face a demographic challenge in Scotland. Our population hasn't really grown over the course of the, the last hundred years. We need free movement of people if we're to grow the economy. We need that access to labour from Europe. We simply won't be able to grow the economy if that's not the case. So there's an economic necessity for us in some regards that we've got to secure that free movement of people. And I think it is incumbent on those of us that do want to stay in the European Union to tell that story that we've benefited culturally, socially, economically from that. And I guess I think one of the problems south of the border, that there haven't really been too many people that have been championing that argument. Well, the difficulty is that we don't know what's happening. I mean, there's been this kind of yeah. logjam of, of, of political life in this country so that you can't really... Because, I mean, I've heard, for example, Michael Gove saying just the other day that he wants to make it possible for all EU citizens living in the UK to get British citizenship for free. You know, that doesn't sound to me like a, a, a breaking of any uh, uh, sort of contract or a, a removal of, of freedom of movement. And everyone has said people will be able to come here and work. And so, you know, you don't know if that's necessarily going to be a problem anyway. But second of all, well, we, well, the okay. time frame for this is wrong, isn't it? Because surely you should wait until we leave the European Union before you decide that you then want to leave the United Kingdom. But you see, the, 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 the problems of that decline of EU citizens coming here is already already with us. And... You know, one of the things is that there is an immigration bill which is in front of us. So I mean, if we deal with the facts of that, what that immigration bill will do is it will restrict the ability of anybody earning less than £30,000 to come here and work. 
Now, as you all know, in the Highlands and Islands of Scotland, that's a big issue. I mean, I was speaking to a young lady just the other week in Portree, which is our main village. She's a veterinary student. She wants to live and stay here, but she's not going to be £30,000 a year. Now, that's a, that's a tremendous loss to us and to her if she's not able to do that. And, and secondly, if I, if I take an institution like Edinburgh University, 26% of the academic staff of Edinburgh University come from the European Union. The vice principal has told me that on the basis of everything which has gone on over the course of the last couple of years, that talent pool has become much shallower than was the case in the past. So there's a real impact that's already taking place simply as a consequence of the vote in 2016 and all the talk about tightening up on migration, making it more difficult for people to come here and so on and so forth. And just another example... But much of that, but much of that, that, that language has come from the Remain side of the argument, who have tried to frighten people into thinking that we're going, to be, we're going to be living... Uh, we're going to be living in some kind of isolationist hellhole, which I don't think is ever going to be the case. Well, we, we, we simply don't know, because... Well, that's what I mean. We don't know. Well, we hear at the moment lots of talk about World Trade Organization rules. Good grief. I mean, that would be, that would be a disaster for for people up in the Highlands and Islands in particular, Why? what would happen in terms of the export of... Why would it be a disaster? Well, well, as an example, you'd be then talking about, under World Trade Organization rules, you'd be talking about tariffs of over 40% on lamb products, which is the mainstay of the crofting community. Who, who would put these uh, tariffs on? If it's World Trade Organization rules, that's what would happen. That's How? Well, well, no, why would it happen, though? Well, because you've got lots of people saying, <laughs> Boris Johnson saying, we could we could happily exist in World Trade Organization rules. Well, name me one major economy in the world that does that. If we don't have if we don't have a free trade arrangement with Europe, that's the reality. That's what. Well, no, it's happen. not that. Yeah, but where do you get the forty percent figure though? Sorry. Where do you get this forty percent tariff figure? In the World Trade Organization rules. If you if you if you, if you look them up, that's what uh, that's what would happen, and that's what would happen to. Well, land doesn't sound like, it doesn't to, sound like you know. No, no, I do know. I'm, I'm quoting you. I'm quoting you. What is an example? Well, you're asking me to look something up, but you're not telling me where the forty percent figure comes from. Is it's there a line in the WTO rules that says land will be charged at forty percent? Tariffs that would be would be implied by Europe on such a basis, it would be a disaster for our crofters and farmers, not just in the Highlands but elsewhere in the United Kingdom as well. Well, I don't agree with that. But let's move on from that. What about the idea that I've got, which is that if you really seriously want to break up the United Kingdom, we should all have a vote in that? Well, you're suggesting that. Those that wanted the Brexit referendum in the UK should have had the permission of citizens in every other EU state as well. It's the right of, it's the right of self-determination that we, that we all have. We have a parliament in Scotland that was voted upon by the people of Scotland 20 years ago. If we choose to complete that power and become an independent country with the goodwill of our friends and neighbours elsewhere in the United Kingdom, that is, that is our right to choose. And if you were to have a second referendum, um, what would be the sort of rules under which that would be held? For example, uh, you've said in the past that the, the, the EU referendum was too close to call, 52-48. Uh, yeah. The last Scottish referendum was 55-45. Um, yeah. Would you put a limit on it as to you could only become independent if the yes vote was up above 60? No, I wouldn't. But I, I, And I think you raise a, a, a fair question, Mike, and... I think we're all aware of the divisions that exist in the UK around the Brexit issue, and it's one of the reasons why I talk about trying to build a consensus around arguments of what kind of country that we want to become. It's not, it's not about disrespecting whether people voted yes or no in 2014 or how they voted in 2016. It's about how do we get that debate about how we can, how we can improve people's life. We've got to be able to listen to people on all sides of that debate and try and build a consensus, build a big tent. Um, and, and really persuade people that now is the time to, 
to take that decision. But yes, of course, we need to be able to convince people in, in a material way that they're prepared to support us in that and get as good a result as that we can get. But in the consequence of doing, to be able to reassure those that don't agree with that, that we're listening to them, that we're taking into consideration their hopes and their fears as part of that as well. And it's about how do we get to a situation that there are friendly relations, as, as there will be, uh, between Scotland and the nations of the rest of the United Kingdom. Mm. It has to be very much a respectful debate. And on the basis of that, given where the UK is, given where Scotland is, I'd, I'd be... I'd be pretty confident that we would win that argument quite overwhelmingly. Well, I better not read you any of the tweets out that I'm guessing, because they're not, they're not all that pleasant. But what I would say to you is a couple of things that people are asking me about. What about uh, if you were to become independent, the border situation? I mean, we've seen all of the shenanigans about the Irish backstop, how you keep a border between uh, two countries who are in the European Union now but will not be in the future. If Scotland was in the European Union and England wasn't, what kind of border would there be? Well, you know, you hear lots of politicians, particularly on the Conservative side, saying the last thing they want is a border between the United Kingdom and the island of Ireland. We've had a common travel uh, area ever since the establishment of the of the free state. It really, it would be, <laughs> it would be rather odd in the extreme to, to hear Conservative politicians saying that they don't want a border on Ireland, but all of a sudden they want one between Scotland and England. That's that that is illogical, and it's it's not a position that I I foresee happening. I hope I hope that the rest of the United Kingdom does have a free trade uh, arrangement with the, the rest of Europe, and that is the best way of addressing the problem and to making sure that we do have that open border between... But, of course, if you were to be an independent nation within the EU, you wouldn't be able to do a deal with England on a trade basis. You'd have to do it on the basis of an EU deal. Of course there would have to be Which an EU sounds deal. Which sounds mad, doesn't and it? I, and I very much hope that, that, that that is the case. It would be in everybody's interest. Like, I, I want all of the UK to stay in the European Union, and I certainly want all of the UK to remain in a a single market customs union arrangement because that is the, that is the best answer in terms of protecting jobs. And is this second referendum that you're asking for uh, the final attempt? Because we've heard in the past that uh, SN, so there are some in the SNP uh, who would like to keep having a referendum on independence until they win it. I think it's really about the circumstances that we're in. And given where we are at the moment, I think it's logical that we ask people that. And of course, we want a mandate from the people of Scotland to have that referendum in the election of 2016. It's not about having referendums till we win. I actually think that we have got an overwhelming case to put to the people of Scotland, and I expect in a referendum that I hope takes place before the end of next year that that question will be settled and it will be settled for all time. Mm. And when do you formally request uh, the referendum from Westminster? Because obviously, uh, much as you won't like me to say this out loud, you have to seek permission from Westminster in order to even hold it. Well, indeed. And again, it's a good question. You'll give me that I'm not going to tell Theresa May or a successor the answer to that question today. What we'll do is we'll take our responsibilities in the Scottish Parliament, we'll build support for independence. When the time is right, we'll say to Westminster, are you going to accept the sovereignty of the people of Scotland and accept the mandate that the people of Scotland have given to the Scottish Parliament to conduct that referendum? And it would, I think it would be pretty unwise of Westminster to stand in the, the face of the legitimate uh, demands for a, a referendum in Scottish independence under those circumstances. Mm. I think it would be difficult, though, for them to grant it as well while the process is still ongoing. You know, if we haven't physically left the European Union, and I have no confidence, I don't know what you think about it, but I have no confidence that we're leaving uh, anytime soon, certainly not on October the 31st. So it seems to me, as I said earlier, a little bit premature to ask for something which hasn't happened yet. I think it's I think it's about respecting democracy, and I think if uh, if the oh what you mean like the EU referendum? 
well, look, I am respecting democracy because the people of Scotland voted to voted to remain, and that's what. Well, I'm some of them did, yeah, but, but not all of them. Mike, 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 if if the Scottish Parliament passed this bill, it is the settled will of the Scottish Parliament acting in the best interests of the people of Scotland. It would be a pretty well a rum deal for Westminster to stand in the face of the express wishes of the Scottish Parliament. Well, it would certainly be uh, similarly bad for anyone to stand in the way of people who have already voted to leave the European Union, which is what the, the bulk of the United Kingdom has done. But we're running out of time, and Let me ask you one final question. You will have probably deduced from my surname that I'm, of course, uh, uh, from the old country myself. My parents I, were both... I remember when you used to broadcast... Oh, dear, oh well done. Talk, talk 107. Well, Nicola Sturgeon and I used to drink champagne in Regano's many years ago, but, you know, she's gone all posh on me now, so she doesn't, she doesn't call me anymore. But here's the thing. Um, my parents were both born in Glasgow. Uh, I am, I consider myself Scottish, right? What happens to me if I'm, uh, if you become independent, can I uh, get myself a European Union passport in Glasgow? Of course you'll be able to. And, you know, this thing about um, nationality and identity and all the rest of it, the reason that we want independence are for the people that live here. And where people are from is actually immaterial. It's a phrase which is often used, it's not where you're from, it's where you're going. And, and of course, uh, people that live here will qualify for Scottish nationality. You, you have ancestral claims to, to that, as well, and these will be fully, fully respected. We want people to make Scotland their home. We want this to be a, a successful, dynamic economy. It's not about being exclusive. It's about being inclusive. It's something that perhaps Westminster can learn from. OK. Ian, thank you very much indeed for your time. Ian Blackford, uh, Westminster leader of the SNP, uh, telling us why he thinks it's now time for Scotland to have a second referendum. I still think we should have a say. I want to know what you think by telling me on this radio station right now. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Well, 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm in the company of Emma Hammett uh, from uh, First Aid for Life. Emma, welcome back. And uh, I'm also in the company of Annie, who's not looking quite so good, uh, who's in need of some life-saving treatment. And I'm here to teach all of you out there how to save somebody's life, if you have to, uh, out there in the street. So we've got the defibrillator here. Okay. We've been doing some CPR. So can you talk me through what I would have to do? Okay. If, so imagine that we're sort of, you know, complete strangers and we are in the middle of a, of a street scene or something like that. I've got this defibrillator out of the, out of the box well, in which it's kept. First of all, do you, know, do you know how to identify where, that there's a defibrillator nearby? Do you know the signage? I've seen signage, yeah. uh, so I suppose... Um, a green heart yes. with a lightning flash right. across it. Right. And they are in most stations... Uh, in fact, pretty much all stations. Mm. You should find them in dental surgeries, GP right. practices, um, anywhere where there's a, a large amount of footfall, a yeah. lot of hotels, schools. Supermarkets, those kind of places. Big supermarkets. Yeah. The smaller ones aren't, aren't there yet. Mm. But we are pushing hard and fast to get these into the community because yeah. of the difference that they make. Right. And as I've said to you before, I've certainly seen them on the Tube Network mm -hmm. in London as well. So uh, they are... They are Findable anyway, so they are. assume and that we found one. Yeah. Um, what do I do with it? Okay, so first thing, let's switch it on. Okay, so there's an on-off switch here, which is pretty obvious, so I hit that. Yep. And there we are, it's got some lights coming out of it. Now, they are all... Apply pads to patient's bare chest. Ah, okay. okay. Plug so, in pads connector next to flashing these are, lights. These so are the pads, right? You have the pads in your hand, and if you look at them, they tell you where on the chest to put them. So oh, you're so putting slightly one at the above, top yeah. on the right and one yeah, right, at the side on the left. It will keep prompting you till you've done it, so well, I would peel them off. I don't off. like to be told what to do. <laughs> I've already got a problem here. <laughs> so peel I'll them peel, off so and I, stick so them on. So I'm peeling this bit here. And don't forget, you cannot do anything Apply wrong. Pads. You have someone who is unconscious and not breathing. Just stick it on. Just there, right? Yeah. That looks about right. And yep. then the, the and right stick one it on is, is below. This side towards me. The chest bone sort of, isn't You're going it? across oh, the I chest. Okay. What you're doing with a defibrillator is oh, you're right. shocking. Yeah, right. So Insert a little bit further down towards further me. Further down. Down towards, on the side. On the side there like that. Because you want to be able to put that shock straight through go. across the chest. Right, plug in the plug, the connector. So that's the yellow plug that I've got here. Yeah, and that goes, in... There's any danger of me getting electrocuted No, and in the community, these are already plugged in. Okay, so plug that in there. Yeah. How do I know that it's fully plugged it in? There's a yellow light. Analyzing heart rhythm. Oh, thank God, he's moved on. Do not touch the patient. All right. Analyzing heart it's rhythm. It's analyzing heart rhythm. Advised. Okay. Shock advised. Right. So you need to make sure no Stay one's holding them or touching them. So you need to be really assertive. Okay. And go, is this when I start to go clear? Now. Stand press clear. Press the button yep. now. And press that button. Press the button. Yep. Clear. Shock delivered. There we go. Pause. There you go. And straight back for start CPR. CPR. More CPR. So More normally CPR. I'd be pushing the chest and all of that, which I'm not going to do just because it'll make okay, shake Okay, but you need to, people need to understand mm. that you are giving CPR. When you are giving CPR, yeah. when you're pushing on the chest, you are being the heart for them. Right. When you're breathing into them, you're being the lungs. You're being a heart and lung okay. machine. Right. If you are unwilling or unable to breathe into them, because some people find that a bit icky, yeah. um, 
push on the chest. Okay, and maybe if there's other people there, there might be somebody else who's willing to do that. Would that be acceptable? Yeah, but not at the same time. Okay. So somebody else would be doing the compressions and the and the and the chest and breathing into the the mouth. Right. And then you would swap every two minutes because it's exhausting. Yeah. It really is. So what do I do now then? It, if, if there's a, this if it's is still worked. timing you. Okay. So this will time for two minutes whilst right. you're doing CPR. Okay. And then it will reanalyze the heart rhythm to see if you've put them back uh -huh. and saved their lives. And so what normally would happen, for example, when the shock is delivered? They will would jump. You, would you normally see the patient get it, sit up or, or jump up? Or? No, don't expect them to come back to life okay. immediately. Right. What you are doing when you're giving that shock is stopping the heart. Yes. People think you're jump-starting, like, like jump-starting mm. a car. You're actually rebooting them, okay. like rebooting a computer, right. which is why you need to use it quickly mm. whilst they've still got the maximum electrical acti activity um, in, in their hearts. Yes. So on TV, they wait till it's got to beep, the old flat line. Yes. It's too late in the community. Okay. We want it whilst they've still got that chick -chick 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 right. on the on the monitor, if you can imagine they had a monitor. So when you stop the heart, then what, You've got what effect does that have? Backup system in mm. the heart that kicks them into the right rhythm. Right, okay. And if you have a cardiac arrest in the community, your chances of survival are about six minutes. Right. If you use one of these within three minutes and they're in a shockable rhythm, your odds jump from 6% to 74%. Wow. I mean, that is... That's extraordinary, isn't it? That's massive. Mm, absolutely. And also, if you're doing good quality CPR, you've got a blood, oxygenated blood. That was two Stop minutes. Stop CPR. Ah, so he's saying do more CPR. Analyzing heart rhythm. It's reanalyzing. Okay. Stay clear of patient. Stay clear of patient. Analyzing heart rhythm. No shock advised. Right. Paused. So there's no if shock needed, advised. Start CPR. So what it's saying is they're not in a shockable rhythm. So either... They've come back into sinus rhythm right. and the heart's working again fine, in which case you should start seeing signs of life and you might have seen them before. So they or, would be moving perhaps or breathing? Possibly, certainly. yep. Um, uh, or it's too late, but you're not going to make that decision. Only a doctor can certify someone's dead unless right. there are injuries incompatible with uh -huh. life. Right. Um, or they're in some other rhythm. All you need to know is that you carry on with the CPR you leave the pads in place, in two minutes it will analyse again. Right. And it's possible that they go back into a shockable rhythm again right. and then they can re-shock. Another Rwanda, stupid question yeah, which has just occurred no to me. No stupid questions, um, there's what none if the, at all. Do you have to take the, sh the person's shirt off? Um, does it need to be skin contact? Skin contact is important, right. but there's no such thing as a stupid question in first aid. Um, you know, all questions are, are totally valid. Yeah. Um, it's really important that the pads have really good clear skin contact right. otherwise there is a possibility that the electricity can arc right so if you had a particularly hairy chap then there is usually a little razor in there yeah. and you wouldn't you know spend time making them look pretty right but actually you just take the okay. worst of the of the fuzz I'm, off. I'm thinking more really in terms of, of whether there's a problem if it's a woman and you're a man and you know you have they're to undo their shirt unconscious and they're not breathing and yeah. you're saving their life sure but we live in very strange times we do live in strange times but um that you know, there, there has never been um, a case right. that no, where listen, anyone's I get had that. a problem with I just, that. I just can envisage, you know, people not being happy about that situation. Or I think if the person is, is very blue-looking yeah. and quite obviously, um, you know, in, 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 in need, shock, and yeah. you are being professional about it, 
you know, it's, it's not the time to get your mobile out and do some pictures. No. Or it's, it's professional mm. and you're saving that person's sure. life. Okay. I don't think that that should ever be an, an issue. And okay. if there is a next of kin that objects, it makes it harder. Stop CPR. Ah. Okay. He's quite demanding. So another two minutes. You know, tired. Leave me Stay alone. clear of patients. Fabrice Mwamba was, was re-shocked 13 times. Analyzing heart yeah. rhythm. Yeah. And made full recovery. And that was with a defibrillator oh. at the stadium. Exactly the same sort of defib. Right. This is what we use now. All right, I'll tell I think you, what, you can gonna, probably turn him off now. I'm going to unplug him now. Oh, I, no, he won't like that. I would just turn him off. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Just turn him off. Otherwise, he'll go. tell you to keep plugging in the pads. <laughs> He's very bossy. He is very bossy. But actually, isn't that nice to know? If you're in that well, sort of situation, yeah. Yeah, it's going to tell you. And mm. some of them will tell you push harder. Some of them will tell you, um, give you a bleep to push at that rate yeah. because you want to be doing your compressions uh, two per second. So you've started off this clip with playing Staying staying Alive, yeah. which is a great one to it have is. in the back of your head. Yeah. Not great to sing whilst you're doing CPL. No, no. Not the most tactful. But, um, you know, good, good to have that. In your, that actual in, rhythm, yeah. Yeah, mm. two per second, and you're pushing down about five to six centimetres. So you've got to be pushing down hard Quite enough hard, yes. to squeeze the heart, to yeah. pump the blood so around. So if in doubt, just do it harder, probably, is, is, yeah. is, is if, good if advice. If anything, if you've got an older person, mm. you know, and something gives, don't stop. Right. Yeah, if okay. the person survives, we can fix cracked ribs. Yes, That's of really not an issue. Okay. And for babies and children, you're not going to break ribs. Okay. Let's just take a call on this. If you've got headphones over there, if you can I see have, if you put them on, you'll be able more. to hear them. Uh, Susan is in Exeter. Hello, Susan. Oh, good morning, Michael. Good morning, good morning. Emma. Hello. Are you, are you, have you learned anything this morning, Susan? Well, I actually, I'll tell you a story. I was a nurse and I haven't done anything in the nursing profession for 20 years, but um, I'm, I'm listening because I love the show and I love every feature you have on the show. And I think it's very interesting what Emma's been saying this morning, but I'm thinking of of things from a different perspective. I'm thinking of a gentleman or lady that is completely un untrained in the medical sense or the first aid sense, and they are faced with this situation. And I feel, do you know what, Emma? I think the best thing to do is to put every adult, um, or uh, every adult uh, in Britain on a little one-day training scheme of a couple of hours at least to know how to handle this equipment because it's all like talking over the air and getting messages from the um the machinery but you i i always think you need to go to school to learn i, 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 I think it's a great idea so it's obviously quite difficult to organize but for big companies for example mm -hmm. like this one um I, they, they may well do it i mean there may well be big companies and you'll probably know better than me who do that for their employees Yes, there's lots. And also they've just um, reintroduced it. So it's now going to become well, reintroduced. They've just started it as being a mandatory um, part of the mm. school curriculum yes. that's coming in. Well, and certainly my, my kids have, have had people come in and show them how to do things. I don't know quite whether they've learned yet to use one of these, but they've certainly been but given... They, uh, they probably have. They've certainly been given first aid lessons, you know, mm -hmm. which, which is great because obviously the more we know about this kind of thing, because as you've said, it's minutes that count, isn't it? It's Absolutely. Not, uh, you know, it's not impossible to save people if you can try and do it. Well, the difference when they introduced um, first aid to in schools in Denmark and Sweden was massive. But the bit we really lag is in the UK, mm. we don't have um, first aid as part of our, our driving test. Right. Whereas most of the rest of Europe, they have that where the whole, everyone that's learning to drive has that training, which is just invaluable. Yes. It's a good point to have it. And you've usually got a first sure. aid kit with you. 
And a lot of accidents happen on the road. Yes, so how nice for all of us to mm. know that somebody's likely to know. Yeah, absolutely right. Very, very good advice. As ever, great to see you, Emma. Thank you very much for coming in. And Annie, I think, is uh, now going to have a happy afternoon, uh, having been saved by me. And so uh, we'll see you, I'm sure, again. Where can people get more information from you and your organisation if they want? Well, we've got lots of free resources on our website, firstaidforlife.org.uk mm -hmm. and onlinefirstaid.com and First Aid for Pets that we were talking about yes, earlier. Yes, well, we might have to have you back <laughs> on for that because uh, I may have to give the kiss of life to the dog at some point or other. Well, absolutely, you'll be so. equipped for that. But we've got loads of free resources. There's videos to watch. There's free courses on there. Um, and if people want to upskill, that's the place, okay. a really good place to go. Fantastic. Emma, thank you very much indeed. Emma Hammett there. Uh, Annie, the, uh, uh, the now life-saved uh, model has, uh, is about to leave the studio go for a bit of lunch. Uh, I'm Mike Graham we've got lots more coming up in the next hour including more of your calls 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You've got Matthew Wright and Kevin O'Sullivan coming up at one o'clock. Roger has tweeted and he says, as a coach of under-13s football, I always check location of hospitals on match days and I thought it would be a good idea to contact the FA and put this information and location of nearest defibrillators on their webpage. Sadly, I have yet to receive a response. Well, that's not very nice, is it? Uh, let's go to the phones, though, because a company want to talk about the defibrillator uh, and life-saving in general. Alan uh, is in Rickmansworth. Hello, Alan. Hi, 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 Mike. Hi, good afternoon. What would you like to tell me? Well, yeah, I'd just like to say that um, I'm one of the ones who owes their life to a defibrillator and uh, an amazing uh, CPR and instant help. Right. Um, I, I, I'm a professional musician and uh, I was coming out of a rehearsal right. in Fulham. I walked into Fulham Broadway Station, actually on a Chelsea game right as you can imagine it's rather busy isn't it yeah, yeah rather busy because i parked my car there i wasn't going to go on the tube right i'm I just going home with all my paraphernalia and uh, walked in through the uh, the doors and just dropped dead with a wow. cardiac arrest Blimey. and uh, my my huge lottery win of course was that um, a doctor passing doctor was with was within 20 feet of me wow uh, dr cavan who, um, I, I shouldn't say his name, maybe, I don't know. But, um, I'm sure he wouldn't Kevin, mind. Wouldn't he mind? It's Dr. Kevin Johal. Okay. And, uh, he works at um, St. Thomas's. Okay. And, uh, and look, it was just an amazing... Well, obviously, I don't remember because I was completely out of it. Uh, but he worked on me for 40 minutes. Uh, 15 minutes after he started the CPR, and uh, they had a defibrillator at the station right and in fact I've, I've been back to see those guys mark and all the staff there and it was their first go so it was their first chance at, at, at the defibrillator wow. and it and it didn't have that much of a charge in it of course which uh, it's important to know oh really so is that, is, that be, is, is, is that yeah. is that because it's not sort of charging where it's hanging as it were yeah, I think that was the case. Okay. I, I sort of admitted, I'm not dropping them in it or anything. I no. think they just said it only had one go in it before it, you know, it, it was sort of just waning. Oh, anyway, that's a bit that's worrying, isn't it? Told. Yeah, I was told that. But look, Cavan was uh, pumping away. They, they had to, I had, was wearing a big ski jacket. They right. cut that away. Okay. And, uh, and surrounded full and broad by him feathers. And uh, <laughs> there I am, flat, flat out. Um, awaiting, of course, the emergency services, 
who amazingly on a on a Chelsea match only took fifteen minutes. That's incredible, isn't it? To get to me. So how long uh, did they tell they you were... sort of that you were actually dead for a while? Oh yes, completely dead. Right. Oh yes. But the, look, as your previous uh, lady said, you know, you've got a four-minute window. Mm. And that was my lottery win, to have an expert. You know, he's, look, Cavan has probably saved many lives. Yes. You know, in, he was in his 30s, I think. You know, Absolutely. Plastic surgery now, he's at St. Thomas's, And uh, I'm sure he had all the, you know, all the uh, expertise at his disposal mm. to, to, uh, to check and monitor me rather than... You know, like a passerby, just waste yes. time uh, going. And what? And what happened after? Did you have to have an operation or anything after that? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it was it was quite a long. It wasn't actually say a long. It wasn't actually very long. Um, they put me uh, once the paramedics uh, got there. They shocked me another ten times with their machine. Right. I was a bit like Patrice. Um, Moamba, yeah, yes, yeah. I was a bit like him. They, they did another ten. Well, she, I think she said he did. They, they did him thirty-one times. I think she said. Oh my god! Really? Yeah. Well, they they kept on going. You know, to get that sinus rhythm, that sort of miracle sinus rhythm back. Um, and anyway, look, they put me into the ambulance. I, I was very seriously ill, of course. Well, yes. <laughs> unfortunately, I don't remember a thing about it. And uh, they put me under an ice blanket for four days. Right. Saturday, this was the Saturday that I finished that rehearsal, and I didn't wake up till the Thursday. And uh, my hobby is uh, speaking Spanish, and I, I really thought I was Spanish. <laughs> I kept on. Kept you didn't on wake up speaking Spanish. Spanish. You remember how people have had these kind of traumatic events, and they suddenly yeah, wake well, up speaking a language yeah. they've never even known about before? Yes, I think so. It's this below intermediate level. It's only a, a hobby. But right. But anyway, look. By the by, the, funnily enough, the, the the following Saturday was my birthday, and I sort of had an impromptu birthday party with the family out in, in the Hammersmith Hospital in the corridor. Right. So Brilliant. within that time, and then and then I did go back to work because I'm a freelance musician and, uh, and conductor. I went back and did a tour. Uh, only four weeks later. Right. So, well, it's a great look, story, Alan. Thank goodness yes. you're alive. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations, and, uh, and yes. long, long may it continue. <laughs> well played. Thank you very well, much for calling. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.